Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Polities Podcast. We have another episode of Good Soil. I am here with the Doherty's, Sean, Beth, Good Siebel. Nice to be here. One of the things that uh, we've gotten several complaints about, and I'm sure this is you're very used to this given the career you've chosen for yourself, which is evangelists for dirt and such, uh, <laughs> is, okay, okay, I've heard it. I get how this is political uh, movement. I get how this is valuable. Um, but what about me? I am stuck in the city. Here I am covered in concrete. They just plowed right over me and I'm part mm-hmm, of the sidewalk mm-hmm, now. And, mm-hmm. and I have either no space or very little space in which to garden. Um, and certainly you can't be saying that something like a garden is, what, you know, when, when we listen to you, you're talking about the cow, you're talking about the ruminants, you're talking about the restoration of, of land, you know, if it's been strip mined, giving it new topsoil. None of which is possible, uh, last I checked anyways, in our city. You right. cannot have a cow. There are laws. Yeah. So um, today I just wanted to spend some time talking about gardens because whether we like it or not, I think most people are only in the position, realistically, to garden. Now, you have spoken, I think, very movingly to people that actually could take that two acres. Right. You know, and I think oh, yeah. it's people... Because we, they one of the things it. that we say is within five yeah. miles of where you are, there is some abandoned land that you could do something with. Right. But you're in the city. Uh, you're not going to do that. Uh, we we, we or, still or just think if it's you really... are on the land. I mean, you start start where you are, even including maybe, mm. you know, your your balcony of your apartment. Right. Before you go looking for the two acres you're going to take over. There are things you can be do. Sean has a step zero in our 10 steps to oh, building good. an independent farmstead, and step zero is what you do when you're still in the apartment. Right. Really and, and we're also going to be speaking for the St. Basil Institute. We're going to give a talk for that. And one of the things we're going to talk about is the mandate that God gave to man, mm. that we this is what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to proxy out every bit of eating that we do, right. that we, we should have a responsibility to do that. And taking that responsibility may lead to another step. Yeah, right. You know, so, right, yes, right. we think that I, it was a really good thing to do, even if you're only doing container gardens on your on your balcony. balcony. I thought of this from a new angle recently because I had been thinking about how Jesus was a carpenter and thinking about the significance of Jesus Christ as a tradesman, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, right who's being commissioned to do various jobs and who knows wood from the inside, as it were. Like he mm-hmm. understands how everything hangs together, the table, the chair, and then eventually the cross. I mean, mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. the person who most knew the significance of the cross in its very structure and weight mm-hmm. as a physical object. And I started to get romantic about this and to think, well, you know, what must it have meant for Jesus to have had this vocation when, of course, there's so many other vocations, and I thought he could have been a gardener, for instance. And then I stopped and thought, wait a minute, of course Jesus was a yes, gardener. Yes, of course right. he was. He had a garden. That's the, right. The family at Nazareth right. and going on always would have had, they would have been growing food because this wasn't considered until very recently some kind of option. That's right. Uh, That's right. There were families. no Krogers. <laughs> up, up, up until not so very many years ago, to say I am a farmer was the equivalent to saying I am a human being. Mm. Right, there was nobody whose job it was to provide for you or your family. Um, there was no, you know, there were up until within the last several hundred years, there was no way to ship food or or store it that yeah. way. So yeah, sure, commodities, 
grain grain ships coming into Rome. We we know that part, sure. but th- those were the exceptions that sort of proved the rule. And, and if you everybody else was growing it, their own food, you didn't. Continue you didn't to last exist. for very long, right. right? Well, or I was going to say the other thing is you were a slave, which is to say you depended on. You know, right, although even the slaves would have been used largely in the capacity of farmer, you right, know, right. farm labor. Right, right. But but Not to take but, yeah. personal concern for the conservation of soil and the production of food from that soil has been the human vocation, you know, relative to this um, presentation for the St. Basil Institute, I was going back to Genesis chapter 1 and just refreshing my memory as to exactly what are the terms and exactly when are we given our mandate and reflecting on the fact that in the in the garden before the fall, when we have a tendency to think of our children's Bible, you know, in the sort of perfect picture of everybody, all the animals and the, hum- and the two humans, in states of total rest in this, you know, sort of blase middle class sort of garden, mm-hmm. they've been given the order to till the earth, subdue it, have dominion. I can't remember what the third third term is. Keep yeah. and keep. Keep the animals. And of course, I'm not telling you anything you don't know better than I do, at least from the from the academic end, you know, the studied end. This is the fulfillment of who they are, right. Adam and Eve. It's also the fulfillment of all of the other living creatures As you were on the saying planet. in our last, you know, the perfection. That's right. Of, they they right. want to be perfected. And right. um, the urban garden is a perfect place for people to... Find that out. Sean sometimes says, you know, how do you read the Psalms if you've never farmed? Yeah, right. But if you've gardened, you begin to have that same sense of our um, membership in, in, yeah. the, in the, you know, in the whole creation and yeah. our, our almost complete lack of control. But the, the other thing, so just prior to this podcast, you were sharing with us that you are, you've been growing mm-hmm. and you think you grew about a month's worth of food. It's fascinating to discover two things. One, that I can do that. And two, how little land it actually takes to grow that much of your food. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible, especially given the choices that you might make. So when you choose to really grow what you eat, and then you also choose high-yield Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And learn to love them. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. We say then grow you what you're going to eat. Right. But sometimes I found that squash, for instance, mm-hmm. is an obvious great use of space in terms of a real yield of vegetable. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you can end those. And if it's last, growing up your fences, so that's right. Right, right. We're right. still what eating squash. What kind of squash, squash did you grow? Um, well, spaghetti. Um, uh-huh. But then I was thinking actually about the squash you gave me. Right. The, uh, tr- uh, oh, the tromboncino. Uh-huh. Yeah, we call it the tuba squash because uh-huh. that's, right. Right. that's right. Wrapped around um, my my t- almost two year old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it was amazing about that squash was that it just won't go away. I keep on making meals out of it, oh. hacking off another piece. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and right. It's still there. It's yes. more of a problem than a <laughs> anything else. It's like I have to defeat this squash. Because it, it lasted all through the winter. Yes. With no refrigeration. That's right. Like that. right. It's, it's, a, it's a really good storm. Um, but I think sometimes when we think of gardens, we are we're very habituated to just think of tomatoes. And then that can be overwhelming because right. then we end up with, like, what I mean to say is, I guess I'm trying to say a lot of things at once. I should probably do it in order. Number one, 
because we have the grocery system and because cash is still holding us up, mm-hmm. right, there's a certain lack of necessity to gardening. Right. Absolutely. What this requires is that for people thinking about starting a garden and actually living out the idea that they are first dependent on God and, and, and then on anything else, um, requires them to actually enter into a state of sort of uh, theatrical necessity. I don't mean this in, a, like in a diminished way. I mean to say, like, the reason that I grow squash is not because I'm sitting there teeth chattering about, you know, the pining end of the world. Pining for squash. Oh, gotcha. Or that. Or pining <laughs> for squash. I'm not pining for squash. I had to you know, get to throw a lot of garlic in there to really mm-hmm. make it pop. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's because I don't trust the grocery system. So what I'm saying is some people think like, well, I'm going to, because I can rely on this cash system, I don't really need to rely on any kind of degree of, of sustenance. Maybe it'd be good for me to learn the principles if, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it seems to me the wrong attitude, which is that every act of reliance on the grocery system is always re-cementing its values yes. within you. And you're also... Um, in a constant state of anxiety that you don't even know about. I mean, Aquinas, when he talks about anxiety, mm. says that it's a fear, the the object of which you cannot name. And I, like and I think that uh-huh. a lot of people uh-huh. live in this condition where they understand, well, this is all dependent on everything working out on a highly complex system that's for the profit of other people who don't necessarily have my concern in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and gee, I hope it works out. But of course, they don't think this every time they go to the grocery store. Why would you? Right. Uh, instead, it's just this this anxious feeling, this That's malaise right. um, mm-hmm. that kind of becomes almost, I think, civilizational. And I think the first thing to realize is that when you practice um, traditional, gar- like the, the tradition of gardening, um, you're exiting from that to whatever degree you can. You're saying no to that fear and that anxiety and starting to spiritually connect with what it is like to have that tilling and keeping as your vocation of care. Um, so, because sometimes this can get confused, I think, with the like, uh, with the prepper thing, mm-hmm. right? People mm-hmm. hear that I'm trying to grow as much food so I can eat off just my land, and they think that I have some, uh, some psychotic fear that I need to provide for myself quickly because the, right, right. Because the world's going to And some illusion that somehow if that were to happen, you could stay safe on your little tenth of an acre right. and eat your food undisturbed, or whatever, no, no. whatever it's, city it's, idea it, they have. Yeah, it's, it's just that I think it is a value in itself to trust in God um, rather than princes. And that that comes from the Psalms, that principle of mm-hmm. trusting in God and trusting in princes. Mm-hmm. And I think that little piece of humor, my 1963 breviary mm-hmm. on page, I don't know what, but it's in the second week, you yeah. know. It says, trust in God rather than in prices. A <laughs> little aside, that's... <laughs> the other thing I was thinking, though, was Christianity always begins today. That sounds like a cliche, I suppose, something you might hear in a homily, which is how you know it's a pretty good line, though. I'll I'll deal with that. There's a lot of things in this world that begin tomorrow, that begin when we have enough money, that begin when we take over the government and can really start enacting things. But Christianity saves our souls, so it's always present to us right where we are. The the other thing we would maybe add to that is it begins with me. And this is one thing that Beth and I constantly are coming back to, because people say... We've got global warming. We've got all these. We've got all these disasters, and 
We need we need the, mandates. The solution is not advocacy. The solution is not right. Uh, the government. The solution is what am I going to do about that right now? So Christianity begins today, exactly the way we would say to people, "What can you do?" Those those would be our imp- important words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, Christianity begins today, and so Christianity is kin is fitting for human practices that are gradated all the way from the bottom to the top because it never says oh once you are 18 then you will be able to be a christian right it has this salvation that's why we baptize infants i mean my goodness mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. be born three month, months early and we'll still get mm-hmm. the holy water mm-hmm. on you mm-hmm. why because at no moment in human life is the operation of grace not already pulling you up to heaven and so the kinds of practices that Christendom, Christianity, have historically valued have been things that are always participatable differently, but, but at every level of existence. Now, gardening, and I think if you look to the Middle Ages, you can see a certain perfection of this, the idea of the master-apprentice system within right. every trade. There was always the idea that, yeah, of course, you don't trust the child with you know, this level of participation, but there wasn't this sense of like, you know, once you're 18, then the real world suddenly begins. Like you just hit a button. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rather, okay. So with gardening, though, I think there's a there is a just wonderful. Probably, probably it's not even a good example. Probably it is the example, or rather, everything else is an example of gardening, um, where right from the beginning, children can participate. Right, mm-hmm. right from the beginning, you can begin. Father mm-hmm. can work with child. Yeah. Where I have a job that I go off. I leave the home and I go do this thing, whatever it is. For cash. Yes. My children cannot participate in that. Yeah, for I was a very thinking long of time, I, you, you mentioned this and then I thought of uh, bring your child to work day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which is like. How the, about, uh, <laughs> how about bring, bring the work home day? Yeah, know? right. Bring the work yeah. to the child day. Yeah, bring yeah, the imagine. dad home day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, and, what, and, and, and so I, I, you know, I was thinking about this and what you're talking about. And we just gave a, a talk locally on urban gardening. And at the heart of it, at the core of it, fertility. Mm. And, you know, in some sense, it's biblical that uh, we, in becoming Christian, it's fertility. And what is fertility? Maybe in Christianity, it's praying or it's something else. But for us... Oh, the you, thing that makes the soil productive. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and you cannot... Uh, you know, one thing that we say is that if you put in your garden... Mm. Maybe for three years, you will be a remarkable gardener. The fourth year, if you have not been adding fertility back in, you are a terrible gardener mm-hmm. because it is not going to grow. But, but you have to keep adding back in manure or fertility of some sort. And it is that adding back in, you know, again, the, the, uh, the, the parables talk about this. Jesus talks about this. You know, this you've got to have fertility. And maybe prayer is our fertility, Christian fertility. I'm not sure. but It seems like most people, when they think of gardening, immediately think of the fruit. So they think of, like, well, gardening means that this thing I buy, I'm going to get through my own labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so immediately gardening poses itself as a unnecessary addition, right? Like, well, if I can get it this way, why already, do why do I do this in the right. involved way? Right. I love the way you describe it, Sean. The to think of the gardener as the one who brings fertility to soil first, and what that does is a it becomes realistic. Like that's actually how you garden well. Mm-hmm. But b it puts fruit um, 
produce in its right relation, right? Which is not that you're somehow artificially trying to create the conditions where you can get to this object. Rather, you're tending the nature of the soil, which is what the plant needs, and then the fruit comes and it seems like a gift. Yeah. I think everyone who's gardened, or even just that first thing you grow in a pot, has sensed the absolute non-identity between what they put into it and what they get yeah, out of it. The gratuitousness right. of the yeah. thing. Right. Um, and then I thought where you were yeah. going at one point earlier in this conversation was that the tomato, I'm going to plant a tomato, and then I'm kind of overwhelmed with tomatoes. I didn't know if that was where you were going. Because yeah. that is certainly with milk, you know, with the cow, you kind of got all this milk, and now what do we do with it? Yeah. But that's just being creative. Because if you were to suddenly get this tremendous number of tomatoes, then you've got salsa, and you've yeah, got... Right. Uh, you know, such a variety. Then you have the next problem of how do I put this up? How do I, yeah. for future use? Well, this is, but, it goes back to something we've spoken of, that when you decide to garden in any little capacity, what it immediately does is it opens your mind to a whole way of life that's implied in gardening. Mm -hmm. So we talked about this with chickens. Like if you just keep a few chickens, you realize what they're good at and what mm -hmm. they do. You suddenly realize that man was meant to have more land. Okay, and so in a similar sense with um, with our consumption, um, when you grow a vegetable, thinking I'm going to get the thing that I use for um, putting on my hamburger, mm -hmm. and suddenly you have 346 of them. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Then you realize that in the nature of the plant itself is an expansive um, life that's possible, right? A life that must involve preservation, right? Right. And if it involves preservation, then it involves people getting together to preserve mm -hmm. things together. That must involve sharing and giving, mm -hmm. right? Um, that must involve a multitude, a diversity uh, of a cuisine. Uh, okay, so, so what I'm saying is, and I think what people pr probably understand by now, is just that the reason a garden is a revolutionary act is is because it is not just a seed you're planting in the soil, it's a, it's a seed you're planting in your soul simultaneously, which allows you to envision a world in which, well, if gardening was allowed to do what it seems to want to do, which is to provide humans with an abundance on a mm. cyclically uh, refertilized land, mm. if that, then there is a complete social order that is implied. Like, what makes that possible? Yep. So that's why I say it's spiritually valuable. It's just because it's always um, it's always teaching you about what the kingdom of God is like, even right. as you're just... So we can tie it back to something you said in passing, which was you get a few chickens and you realize what chickens do, what yeah. they can do, what they do well. And so another way to put that would be to say that you begin to identify something about the nature of chicken. And the same thing happens when you plant that tomato seed or put it, your seedling in the ground and suddenly you have all these tomatoes. Um, one of the reasons why gardening is so significant, you know, it's it's the seed of farming. The garden is the seed mm -hmm. of farming. And, and Albert Howard observed that. Mm -hmm. Alan Nation observed that. What do you mean by that? So that, I, that, I take it to mean that, you know, if you go to any homestead that's imitating what you, you guys are writing about in the book Floating Above Your Heads, you're going, to find, you're going to find the farm and the garden, but the garden will be closer to the house. The garden will be the sort of... Well, what a lot of people have meant by it, Rodale, for example, is that 
people start out gardening, you know, say, say, you know, you wake up one morning in spring and you say, ah, this year I'm going to plant a garden. I've got, you know, that little pieces, little space of dirt next to the house. I'm going to, I'm going to put vegetables in there. That, that seed that you've planted in yourself and the soil is going to change the way you think about the creation. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to see it as, as abundant, mm -hmm. as, um, as gift. But you're also very specifically going to come to, um, you know, who, who didn't dream as a child, right, that you could talk to and communicate with your dog or a flying horse or a dragon or whatever your thing was that was like, oh, you know, that, that, that piercing need that we have to touch a non-human living thing mm -hmm. in a way that's intimate and goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And um, we all have that desire. And when you begin to garden or keep a chicken or both, then you begin the path that takes you there. And that path does lead toward farming because the more you do it, the less it feels like um, my weird hobby, you know, or my cool hobby or whatever, but this thing that's been added on to me, right. this unnecessary thing that I have, I have annexed to myself. And the more you realize this is this defines me. Mm -hmm. I am as a as a human being. I am a farmer, and Genesis one. What is our mandate? The only one he gives us really is that vis a vis this world full of living things, we're to bring order and plenty, um, superabundance mm -hmm. uh, and beauty out of it. And those are all the things that a gardener. That, that's gardening. You know, you take these little seeds and you put them in the ground and things happen and maybe it's a mess and maybe it's beautiful, but it comes together into uh, this abundance that you didn't have before. And then the next time you do it, you have a little bit of better of an idea of how to put it together. And as Sean says, if you want to keep doing it, you pretty soon have to figure out how to return all the, all the, I hate the word waste. Nothing is waste unless we make it so, but return all of the material back to the yeah. soil in some way, like with your chickens, yeah. right? Chickens eat it, chickens yeah. make eggs, chickens make compost, compost goes back to the garden and we have more. Yeah. Um, and so, so that the experience of gardening is the beginning of the discovery on a very real level. And for me, as, as a convert to the faith, as, an, as adult trained farmers, this is a very real experience that I, I can trace you know, in my own history. Um, of discovering what it is to be human. You well, know, what is our call? And and you just said, again, this is in our conversation prior to the podcast. You said I've grown I've grown about a month's worth of stuff. And you month didn't and a say, half, he said. yes. And you didn't just say, oh, well, I've done that, and I don't even want to do box. that again, uh -huh. right? Or you didn't also say, I'm gonna next year I'm gonna grow another month and a half. You said I'm gonna grow more. And I'm going to do more beds this time. And I'm going to do more. Because this is really exciting. It is. The yeah. thought of raising this with my family so that our family is not just a consumer family, but we are now a producing family. And I'm going to be able to do this with my children. Uh, and we are going to provide yeah. our food. And we're not going to make money out of it. And we don't care if we make money out of it. Yeah. We are going to provide ourselves with the best food. And then the going back becomes very hard 
so that uh, then you go to Kroger's and you get their styrofoam tomato and you say, oh my gosh, yeah, right. I can't eat this Well, that's stuff. the first step, too. There is a scary step that comes to the point where you really can't eat it. Yeah, yes, um, as you true. As you eat more home-produced food, um, you see, Steve, yourself homeopathic doses of of toxic stuff that we call food preservatives, right? Mm -hmm. And homeopathic doses of other stuff like glyphosate. You, you stop eating them, you lose your resistance. So you really do get to the point where even sick. the smell, right, even the smell will make wow. you sick. That's unpleasant, but yeah. it is real. So you walk into a restaurant, you think, can't eat here. Sure, sure, sure. You know, my first experience of gardening or what, what it seemed to mean to grow a single thing was um, courage, fearlessness. Because, you know, the, the verse, of course, the consider the lilies of the field. Well, I didn't consider the lilies per se, but I considered, like, the tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the principle seemed to be the same, which is that if creation is such that one seed produces enough to plant a field mm -hmm. then what is at the beating heart of it all is that no one has to be afraid that the only mm -hmm. question is how are we going to um, how are we going to respond to the superabundant gift that is a creation it is not a question of whether the creation is sufficient and whether we are sufficient for it and you know it's funny because the first time i i started collecting seeds from the garden i was such uh, like a uh, miser about it. <laughs> no, I mean it. Like my sense was scarce. Like yes, right, you, right. you describe a world uh, when you describe kindly my gardening back to me that has nothing whatsoever to do with scarcity or fear. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just it only means that secondarily. Primarily, I would do this if it were the kingdom of heaven. I would still garden mm -hmm. and still yeah. eat. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. But we do have a world of sin. And I don't think I realized how much I had a mind that was conditioned by the fear, overwhelming fear of scarcity, which includes the fear that maybe this world yeah. is it and right. I have to carve out the best possible life until I was dealing with seeds. And I had, I was, you know, I was buying these um, little containers to start these seeds and I was literally counting up the seeds of one tomato and saying, okay, well, I'm going to need 630 <laughs> containers so that I don't waste any one of these seeds. That was my first impulse. Uh -huh. And I even still do this sometimes where if I get a little seed packet, you know, it's got 250 seeds and I'm there, you know, my kid is spraying 168 onions, um, which is more reasonable than what I previously tried to do. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> but the sense is that creation gives abundantly. We have to just let it go. That's right. And choose what we want out of that abundance. And then the idea that we can manage it becomes, you know, especially if you consider three tomatoes, for instance, becomes totally untenable. And it's, and it's because there is no, we are dealing with a world in which there is no waste. And so when we bring it to, when we bring to it the world of human artifice, our machine world, and then we try to impose it on the garden, we start looking for, the presumption is if I don't manage it all meticulously, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to waste. Right, right, right. But what nature says is, is there is just too much here. Yeah. To right, even right, bring right. that attitude to bear on it. And, and that, that's what gardening, I think, taught me uh, kind of on a 
Uh, it's funny because we are formed. So if you think about the average human being in, say, the United States of America and his experience from cradle to hopefully not to grave, but, you know, like, mm. say you're 30 now, the vast 99.999% of your time has been spent with, in contact with, in sight of, um, working with, playing with human artifacts. And human artifacts are non-living. Mm. They're non-self-reproducing. They're non-self-healing. They do not carry their seed within their fruit. That's, <laughs> that's right. And so, um, and, and they are... By definition, they are finite in a way that living things are, as you have expressed, you know, like ebulliently abundant, right? Mm. Just overflowing. Yeah. And um, so, we, but we but we function as people in a zero sum game, yep. you know, more for you, less for me. Okay. Picture, and that's how we respond in the beginning as we begin to, you know, sort of try and steward living things. We remember it a lot because. Um, when we first went from dairy goats to dairy cows, we began to have way more milk. Yeah. And, um, you know, modern Americans think of milk as this thing that comes in units, it's in white jugs, they cost so much a gallon, you do certain things with it. And we were getting buckets and buckets in the front door. And at that por point, we already knew quite a bit about how, uh, how um, useful milk is on the farm. But it was funny how much struggle there was within us to make ourselves use that superabundance in the ways dictated by nature, by the very nature of the things we're farming with. So you bring in milk, you let it cool, you skim the cream off, you use that for your coffee and to make butter, you now have skim milk, which you can drink, cook with, or day two, you've got way too much of it, feed it to the pigs. Wow. And you have to force yourself to right. do that because in the back of your head, something's going cha-ching, cha-ching, yeah, yeah, cha-ching. Yeah. But it's, 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 you learn to respond to, a, now, you know, you talked about, again, knowing what chickens do well. You begin to get, you know, in 25 years, 30 years, we have just the inkling of what are the natures of all these different living things. And because of, you know, at, as soon as I sort of begin to discern their natures, I can begin to see where do you fit into this living organism that is a farm, and so how do I direct things to make it more abundant? So for you, you've been doing it as long as I've known you, or almost, because you've had a compost heap. Yeah, right. And then you've used that compost heap, you build a compost heap, and next year you move the whatever you had surrounded the compost heap with, somewhere else, make a new compost heap, and you go back to point A, and you plant stuff in it because you've added fertility, and now it's going to be the best garden on the yeah. place. Yeah. And then after a year or something, you bump that one up. You know, you raised it to another level by putting chickens in your compost pile. Yeah. And now you're harvesting eggs from your kitchen waste that then become chickens who make compost, who make a better garden. Yeah. And and there's no, I mean, it's um, exponential, you know. No, it really it's is. Uh, and, and the net effect has been that there's no category of waste anymore. That's or right. Or rather, the only waste that my household is involved in is the crap that people keep making. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know why everyone keeps wrapping everything I need in plastic. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> right. right. Just right. like that. That's right. But in terms of what, we're, what we are working on, um, it the category is gone and there's a joy in scraping a plate and saying to the chickens. Absolutely. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, that thing. Right. So in our house, honestly, like you rinse certain jars out, you know, yeah. milk, 
tomato sauce, whatever. And it goes in the bucket under the sink for the pigs. And you get to the point where it's automatic. This, you know, last little bit of coffee with yeah. cream in it goes right into the yeah, bucket. Yeah, yeah. The pigs are going to, they're going to be glad. Even if it wasn't, even, yes, exactly. Because it's for happiness. They will be happy about it. Mm -hmm. They like sloppy food. It isn't even any longer cha-ching in the back of my head as I'm, you know, sort of moving things around to where they will be the most productive. It's, what makes it more beautiful? What makes it happier? What makes it appropriate? Now, you know? now what, what kills this, and again, we're starting to talk a little bit about farm, but I think we yeah, have the yeah. same thing with gardens, is if the only way to get my, my fertility or any of those things is through cash. Yeah. So that I go to Lowe's and I buy fertilizer mm. and I do that, mm -hmm. those things. Yeah. But, it, but that does, and, and, and then it becomes either the wife's or the husband's hobby, mm -hmm. and the other person oh, yeah, right, is right. spending money or it's seeing money, money right. being spent toward yeah. this little hobby that you have, and, and it becomes a source of frustration because that's, why is this money? And what we are so excited about in the way that we farm and garden is we have found ways to do that without spending cash. Mm -hmm. That there is a natural way of doing all this, of, for, of developing fertility and stuff like that, Without money. Right, you walk into those garden center and you see oh like gosh, the little corners so for the raised expensive. beds and the expensive boards for the raised beds and the expensive yeah, yeah. stuff to go in the raised beds, and it makes me think Wendell Berry saying, you know, uh, the commercial way is to take a solution and neatly split it into two problems, yeah, yeah, yeah. both of which are lucrative. Yes, right, absolutely. No, that, that is modernity in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. right. Well, listen, I think that we have we set out to talk about how to have. The backyard garden in the manner you're describing, and we successfully failed to talk about how to have a backyard. Ah, you want to drag it yes. to but that? Instead, we talked about why to have mm -hmm. one, and I don't want to drag it out. I want to end our discussion here with some final reflection, and then I'd like to start a new okay. discussion okay. about the hows. Okay. Uh, so this is on the fly editing. We have decided <laughs> the title: Why to have a backyard? Why to have garden, a backyard right, garden or any garden at all? To be human. So let. Yeah, that's, I was, the why. that's what I was going to say. If you maybe an ending reflection on like if someone is on the fence about this and doesn't need to be convinced in terms of maybe the material cost or something, but just why to do it. Um, period. What do, what do you tell them? Well, I, again, to me, it comes back to um, learning. I mean, you will learn an awful lot about theology. Yeah. Through doing this, I think it's, I, and I also think yes. it's the right thing to do. That's what, one of the things that we come back to. It's the next right thing to do. You do it because do. it's right, right? Yeah. Although I think bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches are a really good second on, on why. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I always find that I have to be motivated by the, by the absolute first in order to then. The rightness. Just, yeah, like why do this? I mean, human life is so wonderful and so incredible and such a gift why do anything that doesn't attain its end right and i do think well i know its end is life with god and we are finally recovering from a sort of greco-roman tradition which is very unfortunate not even consistent within that tradition of this castigation of all labor mm -hmm. as yes. being fit for slaves um, right. that has been deep in our psyche, even in the Christian tradition. There's like healing that needs to come for the Christian tradition, for, for the way that they've taken it up into itself, precisely to redeem mm -hmm. it. But anyways, this, mm -hmm. this view that life is all about getting away from that work so that we can enjoy contemplation, um, which is defined almost in its opposition 
to the active life and to labor. And if anything, what what gardening shows me, and especially in, in your lives, is that it is a form of contemplation, and not by being like an airy version of itself. Not because like when you go out there with the you know with the vegetables, you're somehow kind of imposing a contemplative spirit onto the activity, but in the fulfillment of man's original vocation to till and keep the earth and make of it a pleasing offering to God. Gardening is a primary, I mean, what what the tradition comes back to again and again is what is wisdom that we're all supposed to seek? And it is knowledge of the nature of reality, of the nature of things. So the attainment of wisdom can never be contemplative in the sense of an opposition to that deep contact with the nature of things that comes from touching them, from knowing them. Um, yeah, and so I, I think that it is worthwhile to garden for that reason, but then also to have the most primary and most accessible metaphor for everything else you do mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you understand parenting without gardening? Yeah. How do you mm-hmm. understand as mm-hmm. a priest your your nurture of souls without gardening? How do you understand your job, right, no matter what it is, without understanding the returning of fertility to where it came from, the raising up of fruit that is given super abundantly. It seems to be like to take away gardening from the life of the human person seems to be to take away that focal point that helps us to understand everything else and to give us the language for you speaking. Why were the it. parables always farming? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and yeah. I mean, honestly, ourselves as members of a human race that goes back to Adam and Eve, yeah. If we don't garden, if we if if we if we are content to live in a human construct world, we don't really have much in common with the vast majority of mm-hmm. of human beings. You know, those those that don't get to vote, the dead ones. You know. Yeah. Well, there it is. I guess that's our why for gardening. And next time we will give you some of the how. Cheerio. Till next time.